Well, we're trying to cover a little more ground this morning. Um, last week we got into chapter 3 and we didn't quite get finished with that. I'm going to try to do that, wrap that up this morning, and then get into uh, hopefully chapter 4. Um, just a quick review as we kind of look at chapter 1. <clears throat> we looked at divisions. We looked at divisions and wisdom of men. Chapter 2, we saw faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of men. Did I just turn myself off? I've got a light here. Test. I just heard some feedback, and now that may be better. I think I'm back in the closet here. And uh, power and the wisdom of God. Chapter 3, we saw that preachers are servants, fellow workers. So we're going to kind of hopefully finish up here this morning. And as we kind of looked at last week, um, and again, just thinking about trying to keep this fresh in our minds as we think about this, this the book of First Corinthians, kind of the outline of how we see some of this broken down. From chapters 1 through 6, we see these problems that were reported to Paul. House of Chloe made him aware of some things that were going on. We see the divisions in chapters 1 through chapter 4. Fornication in chapter 5, and they weren't doing anything about it really uh, when it comes to seeing this in the church. So discipline in chapter 5 and then bringing each other, bringing one another to court into lawsuits. Then as we get into chapter 7 through 14, again, we see questions that may have been asked of Paul. Um, we, we see this from, from the standpoint of marriage, spiritual gift, covering, spiritual gifts. These are things that they wrote to Paul about or asked Paul about, and he said, now, you know, now concerning, as he re- responds back to them, and then false teaching of the resurrection in chapter 15 and collection for the saints in chapter 16. Last week as we got into chapter 3, we recognized that when, and, and talked about how when Paul talked with these, these brethren in chapter 3, he uh, told them that he couldn't speak to them, couldn't speak to them as spiritual men, but as to the men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. And we talked a little bit about that, um, broke it down to where we could see, you know, the, the carnal versus spiritual. Um, these individuals, obviously, and, and again, as we, as we look back over chapter 2, these individuals being, you know, of the natural man, they, they didn't accept the Spirit of God, didn't accept anything uh, related to God. And some of these divisions... These quarrelings, these strife, the divisions that they were dealing with, all were a result, again, of them still being babes in Christ and still taking milk. However, what they sh- what should they have been at this point in time? Should there have been growth? Should they have been in a different? When Paul saw them this time around, what should they have been in a different position than they were? You know, again, what brought about? 
him speaking to them from a standpoint of carnality from the flesh. Their behavior, how they were treating one another. They were still, again, you think about fighting and things that go on. And unfortunately, sometimes that's, that goes on in the church. There's, you know, and, and you think about that from a standpoint of how God wants us to interact with one another, how God wants us to, 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 to be brethren uh, in, in his kingdom. There are ways to go about that, proper ways to go about it. But the way the Corinthian brethren were involved in this, Paul was, was exposing their carnality, their, 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 the fact that they were fleshly. Again, I think it's important for us to understand that there's two different things that can happen here with regard to the things that Paul brings out. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on beyond this because we, we covered some of this last week. But I think it's important, especially the last, the, the last point is if we're carnal, we walk as mere men. We walk basically according to man, according to, but we look over at the spiritual aspect. We walk as spiritual men. We walk as individuals who are trying to serve God, to put him first, to, to do those things with regard to his precepts that we should. Then that's according to God. That's, and, and again, as we see the Corinthian brethren, that was something that they lacked. So as we think about and, and, and move on, verses 5 through 7, we talked a little bit about that as well. You know, what is Paulus? What is Paul? And what's he say to them? Your servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity, verse, in, in verse 5. And we look down and basically kind of wrapped up before the, the end of the class, kind of wrapped up to the end of verse 8, got into start in verse 9. But uh, I think when we, we, we recognize, verse, as, as we start in verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me, like wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. When we think about that, that statement, I laid a foundation, what's Paul talking about? What did he do? Sorry. Preaching the gospel. Okay. So when he says he laid a foundation and he says another is building on it, what happened when he preached the gospel? How is another building on it? Let's think about let's think about Paul and, and Apollos. You know, think about how what what were these Corinthian brethren doing with with these with Paul, Apollos, Cephas? What were they doing with these men? Elevating them, putting them in a in, in a position that they shouldn't have been putting them in, giving them the glory, giving them and, and putting them on a so to speak pedestal. You know, I was baptized by Paul. I was well, but I was baptized by. By Apollos. If you weren't baptized by Apollos, then and you, and you can see how this continues to that would snowball. But I think when we look at this and we see from this standpoint, Paul says, you know, that as as he looks at this foundation, I laid that foundation. But I think he says that you know, Paulus came along and could build on that foundation. He came along and that's what he was doing was building on this foundation. And, and then it says, you know, the last part of that, we must be careful how we build on that. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, and that's the one that's Christ Jesus. So anything that's, 
that's beyond that or anything that would be contrary to that, if it wasn't from the Lord, from Jesus Christ, then there's, there's a problem. I think when we see, as, as, as we look at the next few verses, um, it says, If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show because it's to be revealed with fire, and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Um, if any man's work which has built remains, receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, and he himself be saved, yet though through fire. I think this little section right here, as we, as we think about and, and look at this, is, you know, when you have, and I think it's not necessarily talking about the foundation literally being built or looking at the foundation being built with gold or silver or precious stones. Because we could see those products, we could see that if something was built with that. But I think it's talking about the individual. I think it's talking about the person here and how that those individuals, there may be some who have are built, might accept the truth in, in one fashion. There may be some who do not accept it. And then you have an individual who would build a foundation on, you know, that from a, from, from a standpoint of being strong, they might, it might be gold or silver, but something that would just blow away is in chaff or wood or, 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 uh, or hay or straw. Think about building something. You know, I mean, we, we think back to the little story of the three pigs, that, you know, in the three pigs, we've got some that built with a house on with straw sticks and, and, and bricks. And, you know, it's pretty simple for us to just look back at that. But if we build our foundation on these things, if we build with regard to what Paul's saying is, is important, and then verse 13, it talks about these works of a man will become evident, become evident when it shows because it's, it'll be revealed with fire. For the day will show it. And I think the day is talking about the day of judgment. I think it's, it's talking about, and I don't think it's, it's, it's talking about, what fire fire hell but i think it's talking about the the fact that here it is that it's going to show in, in the day of judgment these things and these works are going to be revealed they're going to come out and when i when i say reveal with fire it's you know we think about fire and how fire can test you know even gold and, and even silver and things like that to actually see how strong it is and this, this is kind of, I think, giving us a, an example of looking at the quality of each man's work. And some of this could be strong and withstand, and some of it could be weak. Some of it could be destroyed, and some of it could be burned up. I think when we get here and we look at verse, verses 16 through the next part of the, the, the end of the chapter, and we see that uh, Paul wrote to the, let's see, wrote to, the, I think I'm losing my mic again. Do you not know, verse 16, that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And, and as these brethren were to think about who they were and think about, think about what how important it was for them to realize. You know, when Paul came to them, they were, and they responded to the gospel. What were they? They were babes in Christ. 
They were new, new converts. They were, they were Christians. And so when they became Christians and that, that relationship at that point in time started, they were, the, they were the temple of God. And that spirit of God dwells in you. And I think he's, he's saying in verse 17 that if a man destroys that temple of God, God will destroy him. We have to be careful with regard to that as we think about, as we think about this temple laying this foundation and how it's, it's built and the things that uh, are required of, of us and he, what he's saying is and required of them that you can destroy that temple and the next thing you know, God will destroy you. Let man not deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. That's kind of, again, what I, I think about when you, when you read that. If you read it really fast, it's like another, little tw- another tongue twister. Kind of, but let no man deceive himself. Don't be, don't fool yourself into thinking that it that if 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 you're you think you're wise in in this age, in this present age, or this present time, but wise in whose eyes? That be God's, man's. I think when we think about that, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. Let no man deceive himself. I'm going back to verse 18. I just read that first part of verse 19. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. How do we become foolish? Is that literally what that means? That we have to become fools? Yeah. The eyes of man. The eyes of man... Christianity is foolish. The eyes of man, the things that we do, you know, we're, we're, we're assembling here this morning for a Bible study. There are people that are outside of this building. There are people who look at what we're doing this morning. It's foolish. Why are you doing this? Why are, you know, there's no God. I mean, that list can just continue to go on and on and on. And, and I think Paul's saying to them here that a man who thinks he's wise in this age you're in a position to where you can look at yourself, and if you put yourself on a pedestal, you put yourself in a position to where you, these philosophers, you've, you've tagged on to what you feel like these, these preachers are philosophers or kind of along the same line with, the, with rhetoric that, that was going on in, this, in the city of Corinth at the time, and people would latch on to these individuals. The next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm elevating myself constantly because... I like this guy. I like his speech. I like his, he's a good orator. And I like, I like what I hear. This is my guy right here. And so we hook onto that. We latch onto that and that's it. So if you think that somebody else over here baptized you or, you know, well, he's not quite the speaker. Again, what I'm trying to bring out is, is the fact that for us to be according to God, according to what he expects of us, it's important that we realize that we have to become foolish in man's eyes to be what in God's eyes? Wise. Wise in God's eyes. Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate that. He says, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. Again, as we just talked about, for it's written that the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. This this particular verse 
that it refers back to Job chapter 5. This is the first, I think, from what I had read and from commentators, this is the only time I think that this is used in the New Testament, the book of Job. And again, it's when, when, when we see this, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they're useless. And that comes from Psalms. When we look at Psalms 94, so then let no man boast in men. Let no one boast in men. Is that what these Corinthians were doing? Yeah, it sure was. So he says, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Last part of this, I think, that we see is that whether of Paul, all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present to things to come, all things belong to you. You belong to Christ. You know, when, when these individuals would attach themselves to these men, when these individuals, you know, brethren were, were so, you know, attaching themselves. And I think, again, he says that with Paul or Apollos or Cephas in the fact that when they're attaching themselves to these men, they're servants of them versus the other way around. It should be the other way around. When we think about, and you belong to Christ, all these things come to you, belong to you. But uh, the way that you've, you've kind of got it reversed and, and how you're boasting in men, don't do that is what he's trying to say to them here. That you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Any questions or comments with regard to chapter 3? Anybody like to? Yes, sir. It's on its way. Right, Phil, right here, Jonathan. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus refers to himself as the, uh, the cornerstone that was the, the stone that was rejected. Uh, he, when he's talking to the Pharisees specifically, and, and when you think about the, the, the building of a, any kind of a structure, the cornerstone is the very first uh, stone, and you're building it out of stone that you put down, and, and it determines how everything else goes. If it's not right, then nothing else is right either. Jesus being that cornerstone, and they built on it. And, and uh, when we do, as you, as everybody you said, and, and others in previous classes, it kind of has talked about some of these same same things. Uh, when we try to build on it with other things incorrectly, then then we're not uh, adding to it correctly. You know, like we asked the question a minute ago about what what does that mean? You know, and it building on that same. Uh, item that Jesus built on and, and those things that he talks about here not, not having self pride and not having uh, building building up on another uh, person yes but on but on Jesus Christ and, and his the fact that he died for us on the cross and, and that is what that is being built on and, and then and he gives this the, the growth it's not anything that we do at all it's, it's Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, appreciate that. I say, but, uh, yeah. No, no, I appreciate that. Thank you, Phil. Any other comments? Any questions? So let's think about when we look at chapter 4. We see uh, basically a unity in the message is what Paul, I think, is, is trying to bring out here. 
Uh, he's going to talk about the proper view of ministers. Proper views, how they, they, these are not just, these preachers are not just philosophers. Like, they're trying to wrap them up or put them, so to speak, in a nutshell. And, and this is how they view them. This is how they interact with them. Uh, going to look at ministers, proper view of ministers and, and stewards, ministers and stewards not accountable to man's judgment, uh, God's view of them, and not above what is written. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as we look at this and get into the first part of chapter 4, let man regard us in this manner. And what's he say? As servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. So I think when we look at here, we see that Paul brings out the fact that preachers are servants of Christ. Back and look at chapters three, chapter 3, verses 5, verses 9. They were also ministers and fellow workers. Um, they're serving you is, is what I think he's trying to bring out. They're ministers for you. Um, if you're a follower of Paul, then you're serving Paul. Um, it's, if you say you're a follower of a particular preacher, you're serving that preacher. You're, you're giving your attention to that individual. And, you know, he also brings out the fact that they were stewards of the mysteries of God. What's the mysteries of God? And can we open the Bible and do we, can we read it? Can we understand it? Is it a mystery to us? Is that what he's bringing out here? What's the mysteries? What is the mystery, first of all? What was the mystery? Gospel? It wasn't revealed? I think, I think again, what, what Paul's saying is that these men are, these individuals are stewards. They're stewards. They're ministers of the mysteries of God. What God has revealed now is those things that he's there, they, we, that we bring, that we study, that we, that we review, that we see. In this case, he says, moreover, verse 2, it is required of students that, no, that they be, one be found trustworthy. I think it's something that we need to realize. What is a steward? Manager. Manager. Okay. Can you think of an example of what a steward might be used for? Just anything. What could a steward manage? What could he be a manager of? Household, money. Okay. Household, money, property, land, estate. A steward has to be found faithful. Why would a steward have to be found faithful? He's a manager of what we just talked about. Property. What if he wasn't? What if he wasn't faithful? He's a manager of these things. Then what? It's like maybe the fox in the hen house. I mean, you know, I mean, you've got somebody that's going to take and manage these things, but they're not trustworthy. So you you turn it over to them. You leave town, and this individual. But yet you come back maybe to some of it gone. Some of it's missing. Some of it's broken. Paul says that it's important that stewards are those that can be found trustworthy. Did I see a hand up? I thought I saw a flash. John, I'm sorry. Parable of talents. Yes. He says in verse 3, but to me it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. What do you think Paul's saying to the brethren here? 
It's a small thing that I'm examined by you. I agree. I agree with that, Mitch. I think that uh, one of, and, and I'm going I'm to say it even a little bit more blunt. And Mitch, I think, said it in a really nice way. But I think Paul's basically saying to them, "I answer to no one except God." You know, I, I don't really care what you think of. of, of you know, I, I really don't care. It doesn't matter. You know, as long as I'm pleasing to God, it doesn't matter if you or any human court like it or not. And I think that's what he's bringing out in, in, in what he says to them. A minister is only responsible to God to preach and teach the truth. You know, and, and again, I'm going to say that. You know, you see, you know, Leland and David, both of our, our, our ministers, our preachers. And I think, you know, this is something I think as Paul's talking to, to, to these individuals, that he's making it clear that I answer to no one but God. Now, I re- and I recognize, and I'm going to say this, that they recognize they, they submit to the eldership. But I still think I've seen the time, and I've heard of it more than I've seen it, but I've, I've seen the time where it might be that a preacher would actually preach to the wind of the, of the congregation. What do I mean by that? Is it possible for that to happen? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? The wind, how it blows today. How it blows. Ever seen that, David? Ever seen that, Leland? Ever heard of that? Is that possible? Is that what these guys were doing here? How were these Christians, Christians, again, we're talking about some of these were not spiritual people Paul could talk to. So he's having to what? He's having to discipline them. He's having to correct them for them to understand for them to understand. It's important, I think, that, you know, and Paul's trying, I think, to bring that out. You know, you're judging me, so to speak, from a human from a human standpoint. Um, I think if we look here at the next verse, I'm conscious of nothing against myself. Let me, let me go back, first of all. He says in verse 3, I don't even examine myself. In other words, I think Paul's even saying here, you know, I've, I, re, I, re, I, re, I report to God. I don't even put myself in a position to look at my wisdom and say that I know what I am. And I think it's important for us to realize as well is that he is saying that he is even leery about who he is and what he's, he is not putting himself in a position only the fact that I'm responsible to God and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm working to, to, to that end. For I'm, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted that the one who examines me, but the one who examined me is the Lord. You're judging me from a human perspective. I don't trust my own wisdom, my own human wisdom, 
the standard is God. It's what I believe he brings out here. As, as we look here and we see verses 1 through 6, verse 5 he says, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring light to the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of man's heart. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. I think he's saying here that all matters, you know, that it, 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 all that matters is that we're accountable to God. God's judgment, God's judgment is all that matters at the end of time. Again, I think referring to, to judgment day. And it's, I think we tie up the last part of this section in, 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 so to speak, 6, maybe the first part of 6, 6A. Now things, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So that as you may learn not to exceed what is written. I'm going to stop right there in that, that particular part. When he says, I have figuratively applied to myself. Now that's not terminology that we use on a very regular basis. I'm going to switch over and look at the English Standard Version. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, verse 6. And it says... I have applied all things to myself and Apollos. He has applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Again, just, and again, thinking about this, he says he's taken these principles and applied them to himself. He's applied them, Apollos has applied them to himself. I don't want you to go beyond what is written of God. Don't think of a man above what is written. Paul wants the Corinthians to learn that you don't beyond, go beyond what is written, written of God. last part of verse 6, what does he say to them? I think it kind of changes here when he says in verse 6 that no, that so he, I, want you, I want you to learn to not go above what is written so that no one will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. It's another word for arrogant. Proud. Pride. And so I think, again, as, we, as, as Paul is, is, as he writes to these brethren, he says, I don't want you to be puffed up, full of pride, arrogance, full of self. But when one says, and we think about this, when one says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, as any man is superior, so to speak, He who regards you as superior, what, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And I think, and I think this, this next section here, I think he begins with looking at maybe even the fact that these brethren, we see in chapter 12, and, and we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that later, Chapter 12, one of the issues that existed was 
some of these brethren had various gifts. And I think maybe he's referring to that here. And I think about that when he's talking about, you know, that no man will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things that happens in chapter 12. You know, this man has this gift and this man has this gift. And they, there, was, there were some issues with regard to that. And I think that what, what Paul brings out here is, is important for us to realize that, uh, again, if you think you're superior because of the gifts you have, you know, where did you get that gift? Where did it come from? Why do you act like it wasn't given to you, but you just, you know, but you just had that gift? It just came out of nowhere. Maybe something, somebody, you know, feels like, you know, well, it's because of me that I can do this, and I, it's because of me that I have this this gift. You know, I can speak in tongues, and you can't. Um, I'm more needed in the kingdom than you are. Is is an attitude that may have been prevalent with regard to how they were looking at preachers and philo- as philosophers. Some were elevating themselves in a position, felt they were superior, and you know, as we've heard, an inflated view of of, their, of themselves. But I think here is, as we look at this and we and we see, you know, this view of self that comes in. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of break this next section down into a couple verses. Um, verse eight. You're already filled. And, and I think, to be honest with you, there may be even, it's, it's hard to know exactly, but, you know, obviously we, we, we read these passages and we glean from those things. But there's a part of me that feels like in these next four, these next two verses that I'm going to read, there's a little, maybe even some sarcasm that Paul brings out to these brethren. You are already filled You've become, already become rich. You've become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you would become kings so that we also might reign with you. Now I'm going to drop down to verse 10. It says, it's, and in, in, in looking at this, uh, we're fools for Christ's sake. But what's he say? but you're prudent, you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we're without honor. We're dishonored. I think it's important for us to realize here that, you know, Paul's Paul's basically exposing, I think, some of the perspectives that they have of themselves. Um, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to go back now and look at verse nine. We skip from eight to verse ten. I want us to see here, as Paul brings out regarding the apostles and the things that the apostles even currently were going through, and potentially even how the Corinthians may have viewed the apostles and how you know and, and how they were. For it says in verse nine, for I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all. They weren't first, they were last. I mean, when you really grab a hold of these next few verses, it's pretty incredible. As men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. To this present hour, we are both hungry, thirsty, 
We're poorly clothed and roughly treated or homeless. We toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. Verse 13, when we're, when we're slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now, even until the present time, he writes. Now, I want us to think about that just for a minute before we move on here to this last part. And I want us to see, this is the, the little chart I've got here to the left is how the Corinthians viewed themselves. You know, he says, you're full. You know, you're already full. He, and it's, and what, did, what would he mean by that, you're full? Full, full of what? They're satisfied that they have all that they need. Exactly. That's right. They have all that they need. They're self-sufficient. They're rich. They've become kings. They're wise. They're strong. They're honored. But what do we just read about back in the first part of chapter 3? That they were what? They, weren't, they couldn't even be talked to or dealt with as spiritual men. But this is the pedestal that they put themselves on. And Paul's calling them out on it. Then we see what Paul brings out with regard to their characteristics and the things that, that, that they deal with. The things that as they live as, as apostles... That they go through. They're last. Spectacle to the world. Fools for Christ's sake. We talked a little bit about that in the start of our class. They're weak. This is, what, this is how they're viewed. Not saying that they are weak. These are, these, are, these are things that, you know, you think about 2 Corinthians chapter 2. What was Paul doing a lot of times with regard to who he was? Defending himself. They're despised. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're treated rough. They're homeless. They toil with their hands, they're reviled, they're persecuted, they're slandered. The scum of the earth, dregs, vermin, refuse. I mean, the, I mean it's, it's incredible when you think about this is how Paul depicts, portrays an apostle. And that's what I think he is trying to convey to them. I think here, as we, get, as we kind of wrap up in a class is about, to, is about to wrap up, why did he write to the Corinthians? And I think as we look here in 14 through 21, he says, I didn't come to you, I didn't write to you, verse 14, I didn't write these things to shame you, but admonish you as my beloved children. So there's fornication in the church, they don't do anything about it, they're arguing, there's division, there are things going on that... Should they be ashamed? Is that why Paul? What's he mean when he says, "I, I didn't write, I didn't, I didn't write to shame you"? I'm hearing a voice, but I can't see. Good point. Exactly, and that's the word I was looking for at the end. He's wanting to correct them. He's wanting to correct. Them. His mission wasn't to just throw them out here and say, you know. Look what you're doing and, 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 walk and, and walk all over them. But the second part of that was to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you have countless tutors in Christ, you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exalt you, I exhort you to be imitators, to be imitators of me. 
figgies, also reminding them of the, the, ways, the ways in Christ. Verse 17, he says to him, For this reason I've sent Timothy, whom I, who is my beloved faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. You know, back up in verse 15, he says, I became your father through the gospel. You think about who he was with regard to their, their being converted to Christ, becoming, becoming Christians. And he, he says that Timothy is a faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Not with human wisdom, not with man's wisdom. This is something that I do based on what I, relative to God, in putting God first. Some have become some have become arrogant. You know, he's he's coming to them is what he's telling them. I think in the last part of this, eighteen through twenty one, he says to them, "If the Lord wills, you know, some have become arrogant, as though you were not. Co- I was not coming to you. You know, some of them are questioning whether he is coming. In fact, but he says, "I'll come to you sooner if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not by the words of those who are arrogant, but." But their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? He asks him in verse 21. He says, What do you want? He says, Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? And I think here in this, as he winds up chapter 4, I think it's important for us to recognize that, and again, it, it kind of goes back to what Leanne brought out was the results of this letter of warning, reminding, and correcting would determine how Paul's next visit would be. You know, he's, he says to them, how do you want me to come? You have opportunity to correct these things. You have opportunity to make this right. And that's what I, you know, I think Paul was hoping would be the case. And he says to them, you know, you know any preacher worth his salt must beat the word, so to speak, of God's rod correction at times to brethren if they're not willing to change. That has to happen. And I say that not just to, he's coming with a rod, but he's coming with a spiritual rod. He's coming, and he says that that maturity and obedience to the Christian brethren, if they were to be mature, to mature in their in their walk, in their behavior, and the obedience that the Christian brethren would find Paul's visit to be with what? With love and in a spirit of gentleness. Any comments or questions before we close up? we got a few at the door. Really appreciate your time and your, your, your participation this morning very much.